Hey folks, I'm Charlie the Spaniard Brenman, former Spanish teacher turned UFC fighter turned world's toughest lifelong learner. Post-professional fighting, I turned to the world of speaking, podcasting, and writing books. Having written two books on my own, I love reading and I love teaching. On The Spanish Show, I read and teach about a wide variety of books. Books like Digital Minimalism, books like Stillness is the Key. I interview guests, a wide variety, guests like Scott Adams, guests like former UFC fighter Kyle Kingsbury. I even had the What You Will Learn podcast hosts on my podcast, episode number 293, Adam, Adam and myself talk about books, we talk about our reading strategies, we talk about podcasting, really awesome stuff. If you're into books, if you're into learning, if you listen to the What You Will Learn podcast, I invite you to check out The Spaniard Show as well for a different take on different books and different guests. Thank you. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of Loser Think by Scotty Adams, how untrained brains are ruining the world. Scott says that despite some obvious evidence to the contrary, we all have a brain and we all use our brain, but most of us have never learned how to think effectively. So, this effective thinking, it's not correlated with IQ and all these other psychometric tests and things that are meant to measure your innate intelligence. We're talking about the thinking that is a learned skill and if you look at social media and everyone harping around the world and how sure everyone is about their opinion, uh, you've probably seen a lot of this absurd and unproductive methods of reasoning that are going around and Scotty, he's calling this loser think. Yeah, this is loser think. Loser think doesn't have anything to do with being dumb or being uninformed. Loser think just means being unproductive and ineffective. He's saying that there's plenty of smart and well-informed people that are still practicing loser think. You're not thinking properly. You're not using proper thinking techniques. You've never learned the skill of thinking effectively. And some people who have learned how to think are probably scamming a lot of the, the loser thinkers out there. Uh, everyone's probably seen the, the, for, the rich Forex trader that pops up on your YouTube before you're about to watch a video and you know they pull out the camera and the selfie in front of their Porsche and their Ferraris and how they're just getting rich through you know very simple and easy means. And a lot of people can get lured into this kind of stuff. Yeah, if you see their Instagram feed, they got the watches, they got the girls in bikinis, they got the private jets, they got the mansions, and then you see every so often they've got a, a green on their screen, the trade paid off, they made five grand on this trade, they made three grand on this trade. All you're seeing is all these winning trades, and you think, oh man, this seems so easy, this seems great. Uh, I should get in, I should pay this guy five grand to do a course. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally for you, hey? Scott Adams said that's a classic loser think mistake. If all you're seeing is how many times somebody hits the target, that's mm. loser think if you're trying to judge the accuracy. You need to see how many times have they shot, how many times have yeah. they missed. On the Instagram feed, all you're seeing is the winners. That mm. doesn't tell you anything about how good they are. Well, you're a fantastic case study on this, <laughs> very, I think. Because very, you've always had a very good IQ and I think, <laughs> I'd say right now you've learned how to think effectively. So, you're not falling for any of these traps. But when you were younger, you had a very high IQ <laughs> yep. and hadn't learned to think effectively. So, yeah, you got lured into it, mate. You yeah. just spent five grand. You saw someone in their pitch, they made 
you know, every year 150 grand. Yeah. <laughs> they look dumber than you. That's what exactly. they literally put a dumb looking person up there and you're thinking, fuck, if that person can do it, then surely do Big Ash Show can come and clean up. <laughs> That's it. And Scott says, when lots of money and lots of complexity are combined, fraud is nearly guaranteed. Like, you you know, trading the foreign exchange market is extremely complex, but if you boil it down to be something so easy and so simple and anybody can do this, then they're, they're about to rip you off. Yeah, I think that quote explains a lot. Lots of money, lots of complexity. It's a lot of different industries that have these two things combined, like if you look at the food pyramid, for example, mate, what, 15 years ago, it was, <laughs> it was so fucking wrong. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it had exactly. like carbs as the main thing. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, the biggest industries of the world, food industries were like literally on that <laughs> pyramid chart. Like the biggest <laughs> industries were what you should be eating the most. Same goes for medicine and a lot of other different areas. Yeah, there's plenty of, plenty of uh, people manipulating the system there. And if you aren't trained in the way that you can think, then you're going to get fooled by these. You're going to fall victim to the loser think. So what this book is and what the rest of this episode is, is borrowing fundamental methods of thinking from various fields. So if we pull a, you know, a, pull a bit from how an engineer thinks, if we pull a bit from how a historian thinks, if we pull a bit from how an artist Sinks. If you can combine all of those different systems for thinking, you can develop a really good technique. Now, in this episode, we're going to be looking at three, thinking like a psychologist, thinking like a leader, and thinking like an economist. Let's look at an example that all of us have dealt with at some stage. You get a blunt email from a colleague or a boss, and you take this one short email and think we can read their minds and understand exactly what they're thinking or what they're feeling. You might assume that they're angry at you. You might think that you suck at your job. You'll dread the next phone call with them because you're going to think that you're just going to get blasted from them and you think that you're going to get pulled off the project or you might even get fired. So these are the kind of things that run through your mind from just this one email. And of course, we're almost always wrong. We always extrapolate those things. We always think they're worse than they are. But this is a, a classic flaw of loser think, this what he calls a mind-reading illusion. If we can think a bit more like a psychologist and recognize that we can't read people's minds, then we're going to be much better off. We're not going to make assumptions based on what we think there is. We're actually going to recognize, yeah, actually, maybe we don't really know what's going on here. Maybe we should do a little bit more digging. And it cuts both ways. Like We get punished for what other people think we are thinking mm. also. Mm. So, you know, you got to be mindful that a lot of people out there are just way off, right, with what is actually running through your own brain. Yeah, there's, he's got an example here of uh, people taking this way too far that uh, what was called Pizzagate. This is back in 2016. This is when I was listening to Alex Jones. <laughs> Mate, you've been on a serious loser thing journey, haven't you? <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I'd heard all about this Pizzagate thing. There was this conspiracy. There was a pizza place in Washington, D.C., and it was actually a front for an underground pedophile ring. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, they were going there all the time. And if you ordered you know, a pizza with extra sausage, that actually meant that you wanted a little boy's penis. And, oh, really? Yeah. That's, in like, yeah. Anyway, that's what, that's what the idea was. And this got spread everywhere. And all the loser thinkers out there were thinking this is pretty legit. Um, and one bloke rolled up there with, uh, with, a, with a gun, with a weapon, and, and pointed it at the bloke behind the, the pizza counter <laughs> and said, mate, I'm, I'm here to save the children. Take me to the basement. I, I'm going to get him like- out of there. <laughs> this is a 28, 28-year-old bloke. You'd think he was just an, a normal everyday bloke. Turns out there was no basement and the, that guy went to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's loser thing. He just thought he could just read his mind, this guy. He could have probably just gone in there even if he genuinely wanted to save people, we could have just asked this 28-year-old bloke on his you know, second week on the job, mate, what, do you have a basement? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some, and, you know, some, if you think that by reading someone's mind, if you think extra sausage means you want some, some 
a bit of pedophile action. Sometimes extra sausage just means you want a bit of pepperoni on your pizza. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so usually if in an ordinary explanation fits the facts, like for the example of your, your boss uh, who sent you the email, maybe she was just in a rush. Or every time something happens, you've got the option. So you got the ordinary explanation. But a lot of us like to go for the extraordinary explanation instead. And I think a lot of conspiracy theorists like yourself out there, <laughs> Ash Joe, uh, you know, it is a lot more exciting choosing the extraordinary one. It adds a bit of salt and pepper to your day. But that's loser think. <laughs> Another way you can think like a psychologist is recognize the importance of ego. Loser think is to see ego as just a representation of who you are, but a far more uh, productive and effective way of thinking is recognizing that ego is a tool. You can dial ego up when you need it and you can also dial ego down when it's not serving you. If you think about it, it can lead to confidence and sometimes confidence is really correlated with, with success. So, things like sport and test-taking and romance, if you're asking someone for their number or something like that, you'd want to be confident yeah, and ego, not be yeah. just going there with a serious weakness. But sometimes if you're too confident, it can work against you. There's like this confidence sweet spot. It's like a inverted U-shape. Low is bad. Too much is good. And certain situations and different contexts require a different uh, level of ego. The example is like in a job interview. If you tell yourself beforehand that you're the best person for this job, there are so many people trying to get it, but I'm the best candidate there is, that's good. That's going to bump up your ego to the point where you're not so nervous, you're not jittery, you're not like speaking in a way that makes it come across as a bit of a loser. You, If you dial up your ego, you're going to be much more confident. But if you dial up your ego too much to the point where you come across as arrogant and, and douchey and, and self-entitled, that's going to be bad as well. So, you need to, if you're feeling really not confident, dial that ego up. If you're feeling super, super confident, maybe dial that ego down a little bit. And for different contexts, so say Asho, you enjoyed a bit of basketball when you were younger, uh, you might have this goal of joining the NBA on a team and that's probably a bit irrational. You know, you're, you're hitting your, what, approaching your late 20s now yeah. and you're uh, you could be a bit fitter compared to the <laughs> NBA players. I'm trying to be as polite <laughs> as possible there. But maybe that's not a realistic goal. Owning an NBA team, maybe it's still a bit of pie in the sky kind of stuff, but at least it's going to add confidence in your dreams and aspirations because directionally it's going to, in this situation, help you. Mm. We met a, uh, a podcaster recently, a guy from the US, Charlie, the Spaniard, he used to fight in the UFC and he, he actually does a book podcast as well where uh, he does a daily podcast like six or seven minutes on the best bits of each book and he interviewed Scott Adams as well and Scott Adams was saying, he gave a couple of good examples. So, one example is if you're buying your first house, it's pretty, I guess it's a scary thing, it's a lot of money, there's a lot of people involved, there's the, the mortgage broker, there's the bank, there's the solicitor, there's the people buying the house, there's a the buyer's advocate, there's a the seller's advocate. If you think that, man, this is so complex, your, your confidence is going to be very low. But Scott Adams was saying, if you look around at all the people who have bought houses and recognize that they're no smarter than you and there's nothing special about them, that's going to dial your ego up to give you a nice boost to have a bit more confidence. On the other hand, uh, Scott Adams, when he started his Dilbert cartoons, uh, the people that were buying his cartoons and newspapers, they said, hey, we really like the, the Dilbert strips when he's in the office. So, in the, in the beginning, Dilbert was doing a whole bunch of random shit, but then he thought, okay, if you're buying my cartoons, maybe if, if he had his ego too high, he would say, no, I'm the artist, I get to choose, I do it however I want to do it. The ego there would kill him. But by dialing his ego down and recognizing that, hey, this is what people want, they like when he's in the office, that led him to adapt and that led him to the point of success where 
Dilbert is well known all across the world. Yeah, he knocks that one out of the park. So if you're looking to dial up your ego, you can just remind yourself that all the other people who have done it are just like you. You could do positive self-talk, positive affirmations, body posture exercises like we've covered that a few times in presence. If you actually put your chest out and your arms all the way out, you're going to trick your brain into thinking that you're you know, high on the status hierarchy and through that you're going to have a higher ego. But there are times when you need to dial it down and if you want to bring your ego down and uh, your confidence, you might just keep a record of all your previous predictions and opinions that you had and note all the times you've been certain about something and then maybe a year or two later, you revisit that previous certainty and you realize, yeah. oh, shit, I was uh, 100% <laughs> dead wrong. We've got a pretty good selective memory. We remember all the times we were right, but we never remember all the times that we were dead wrong. And we sort of narrate those out of our journey and that leads us to this false sense of confidence. And the, the third part of thinking like a psychologist is recognizing that you've got personal control. Scott Adams, he's a, he says he's a mildly famous person. He's got his Dilbert cartoons. He's made a bit of money. Uh, he lives in California, so he meets a lot of other successful people. And he found that the one thing that separates successful people from unsuccessful is luck. <laughs> and then he said the second thing is luck plus a sense of control. Successful people are the ones who believe that their fate is determined by their own actions. And whether this is accurate or not, whether there's, we're pre-programmed for a certain level of achievement uh, or, or not, the sense of personal control is a, a winning mindset. People who think they can control situations, they're going to put in much more effort and end up doing better in the long run. I think it's very difficult today with uh, loser thinking. I think uh, there's a lot of people selling victim narratives out there and it's very easy to buy into these. And if you do, you're really going to shoot yourself in the foot for your whole entire lifetime. Anything bad that happens to you, even if it's not your fault, you might as well just say it's your fault because mm. if you develop that habit, then you're more likely to uh, learn from different situations and grow and actually be more likely to become successful. Yeah, he's got a good test here. Uh, ask yourself, what is keeping you from achieving your objectives in life? If the first things that pop into your head are things linked to your efforts, you know, I'm not working hard enough, I'm not doing the right things, I get easily distracted, I haven't learned enough yet, they're things that are within your own control and that's probably a good thing. That's an internal locus of control. It means you have responsibility and it means you can change. If the first things that pop into your head as to why you're not achieving your goals are the government's rules are standing in my way, my boss is too controlling or my boyfriend watches too much TV, all these things, that's an external locus of control and uh, you're probably cooked. Yeah, you're pretty cooked. Let's say you hire a personal trainer and that PT says that, hey, if you follow my program and we work together, I can get you down from 35% body fat to 15% body fat and you do a bunch of sessions, you work together for a couple of months and your body fat gets down to 20%. Now, you could turn around and say that that trainer was wrong, they lied, they, they told you things that weren't possible uh, but you've still come out way ahead. You've gone from 35% down to 20%. You're a lot fitter. You're a lot healthier. Even though the accuracy wasn't there, directionally, the PT trainer was right. So truth always has two important dimensions. You got direction, in this case, it was getting your body fat down, and accuracy, which in this case, they were way off, but directionally pretty good. Now, in different contexts, one of them is going to be important and one isn't. And if you're not aware of this, sometimes you might be trapped in a mental prison for example, if you've got a structural engineer like myself and a client comes up and says, hey, we want to build a new building here. We've got this level of, this is our soil and this is what we can put in there for foundations for the building. How high can we build it? 
and might say, oh, yeah, you know, you can get 120 stories, pretty directionally accurate, <laughs> and it's uh, aspirational and maybe in reality that they could actually only hold 20 stories or something. So, that's obviously a very bad, that'll be a very bad result when it comes crashing down, uh, even though it's aspirational <laughs> and they got a few extra stories out of that aspiration. That's right. So, sometimes if you're, if you're an engineer, you need to be pretty uh, accurate in your thinking, but if you're a leader, you really just need to be more directionally correct. The accuracy is probably a bit less important. So, you're a, you're a doctor and you, you've got a, an overweight smoker who's 60 years old and say, hey, you, you're really struggling here. If you can make a couple of changes, you could probably squeeze out an extra 20 years out of your life, stop smoking, eat a bit healthier, go for a few more walks. If you get 10 extra years out of your life, that's probably a good win. Mm. So, it wasn't accurate, but directionally, it was correct. So, if you're a politician, for example, and you want to get to low carbon economy, you might have this really aspirational goal of going to say zero carbon by 2030, almost impossible to actually get done. But because you've got that aspirational target, you're going to get much further along the journey if you didn't have that directionally accurate mm. goal. Yeah, exactly. If you if your country cuts your carbon emissions by 80% and you turn around and say, hey, no, you said 100%, this is bullshit, you're a liar, you're, you're a con artist, that's, uh, that's loser think. You got to recognize that the direction there of cutting a, a big chunk, not all, but a big chunk was a, was a good win. So, according to Scott Adams, politicians are probably doing it pretty good because directionally, they've got all these aspirational, they've got these huge goals when they're campaigning for things, but their accuracy is horrible. Yeah. Like if you look back <laughs> at their track record, almost across the board that all of politicians fail, but they're doing it right in terms of direction. Yeah, that's right. So, that's all, that's all about thinking like a leader. You've got to recognize the importance that accuracy, much less important, directionally correct means you can inspire people and, and start moving in the right direction. Another important part about thinking like a leader is overcoming what Scott calls couch lock. He says lazy people and stoners, they have this thing where they, they can't motivate themselves to get off the couch and they're, they're, they feel like they're locked to the couch. Uh, your body is physically able to get up from the couch and presumably you probably want to get up and do something, but you just lack that motivation. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're trapped inside your own lazy body. Yeah, I think it's something that we all have at some stage in our lives and the the key to overcoming this is to think about the smallest step that you can actually do without much effort. So, it might be just literally moving a pinky finger, which is sounds pretty ridiculous, mm. but at least it's a small step in the right direction. Yeah, sometimes standing up and getting and going to your desk and sitting down at the computer and starting typing away is a massive step. But if you can start by just wiggling your pinky finger, you regain that sense of control, that sense of agency over yourself that you can control your body. And after you wiggle your pinky and maybe you start to move your wrist and then maybe you start to move your arm and soon enough you're able to stand up and you can get back to what you should have been doing. Mate, I think it's definitely the case with huge projects like the book we're writing at the moment. I think if we thought about how big this project was going to mm. be before we started, there's no way we would have gotten <laughs> I don't started. Think we, nah. <laughs> Just for a bit of context, we've written what we thought was the book, yep. sent it out for feedback and then a lot of people had this unanimous ways we should be changing it <laughs> and that required us to rewrite Full the whole rewrite. thing. And, mate, it's a huge project, but every day we're just chipping away at it. And I think through just the small steps, uh, eventually you can take down big projects and we'll get there eventually. That's it. That's it. The book is coming. Um, and Scott says that this is how he uh, got started by pivoting out of his stalled corporate career and becoming that famous cartoonist uh, that we know from, from the Dilbert cartoons. So, all he did 
uh, obviously, it's a big jump from you know working in a bank to being a famous cartoonist. He focused on the smallest possible step that he had con- control over. And what he did was he set his alarm 30 minutes earlier every single morning. So, he'd get up early, he'd, get, he'd drink his coffee, he would draw one cartoon each day and then he'd go to work as normal. So, it wasn't a massive thing. It was just waking up a little bit earlier, doing one drawing mm-hmm. each day and then going about the rest of his day. So, each day wasn't a big step. But when you add them all up, those tiny little incremental steps added up to something, some serious progress. Mate, the next one we're going to look in leadership is his nomination for the most loser thinkish advice in history. And that is stay in your lane. Yeah, it's something you see uh, often on social media. If someone makes shares an opinion and it's, it's pretty easy to say, oh, stay in your lane. You've got no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, 100%. And he says it's like a advice you should be giving to your worst enemy <laughs> and not your friend. I get it all the time. <laughs> Stay in your lane. <laughs> I'd imagine you do as well. We're both. Uh, We're going pretty outside of our lanes reading books and yeah. Well, we've lane changed in our careers a fair bit yeah. as well. <laughs> Very. But if you look at the most influential people in the world, they haven't really stayed in their lanes at all. Like he's got the example here of the two most influential politicians in the US right now used to be a real estate developer and a bartender. Yeah. You've got Donald Trump who was, you know, developing real estate in New York and eventually went on to become president. And then you've got AOC, who was the youngest ever woman uh, elected to Congress. She was a bartender and she's she's uh, now one of the, the most important people in US politics right now. If you think about all the books that we've read uh, about people who didn't stay in their lane, you know, Range, Originals, uh, the Malcolm Turnbull, Steve Jobs, those biographies, Lynchpin, Elon Musk, um, Scott Adams' other book, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. These are all about not staying in your lane. These are all about learning new things, trying new things, experimenting, stacking different skills and careers together uh, and really building on not being in your own lane. Mm. Yeah, they all come together quite nicely because if you keep moving your lane, eventually you're probably going to find a niche in something that no one else has and you might be the best in the world at this specific thing. For example, you might stay in your lane as a lawyer or an engineer. You might go, say, if you're a structural engineer, it's very hard to actually become one of the best in the world at that Mm. topic. You've got millions of other engineers to compete with. But if you move your lane a little bit and you might go the engineer in sustainability and then another thing, you might go uh, learn the podcasting skill and all of a sudden mm. you're the podcasts are doing an engineering slash sustainability thing and then you're the only one in Australia who's uh, doing that. Love it, mate. Love it. And that's what Scott says. Hey, if you're, if, you're the, if you're number one in your field, if you're at the top, then yeah, probably stay in your lane. But for almost everybody else, the best advice is to leave your lane as often as possible. If you're staying in your lane, it's going to be a very narrow lane. The only way to widen that is to push the boundaries and learn something new. Scott Adams says that his favorite sentence of all time is, I don't know how to do that, dot, 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 but I can figure it out. So I recently had a whole bunch of Qantas points, the National Airline of Australia, uh, left over and there's, no, there's going to be no flying. <laughs> there's, for, no, there's no flying around. You're not using those frequent flyer points so I was in, looking the, at, in the immediate future anyway. Yeah, so I was looking at how can I spend these points and I was going through the catalog and I found a whole bunch of different things and a lot of them didn't really tickle my fancy but I thought, all right, I might get one of these smart watches. <laughs> so I went and I got an Apple watch and my uh, points didn't get me there. I had to spend an extra 350 bucks. <laughs> the Apple watch arrived and then I put it on the first few days. I thought it was pretty cool. I, I think I showed it to you on a Skype call and <laughs> yep. it was like trying to do a few of the gadgets. <laughs> over the first few days, it just kept buzzing and and I was like, fucking... <laughs> I wanted to throw it out, really. But 
mate, I'd already spent so much money. I took a while to clock up those Qantas points and I still got the watch sitting there. I haven't worn it for a few days, but the investment I've already put into it makes it hard to get rid of it now. Yeah, good. That's classic loser thing. That's uh, the sunk cost fallacy right there. The sunk cost, the things we've already invested time or effort or money into trap us into this loser thing. And it sounds like you got done twice. Firstly, you had the sunk cost. You've already accumulated the points. So, then you spent extra money mm. on top of the points to get it. Plus, now that you've then spent the money on getting it, you feel obliged to use it. So, you've gone double sunk cost there. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're not doing a loser think, it doesn't matter what you've previously invested into something. It's all about what is it going to add to you in the future. Mm. For me, this Apple Watch is going to, if I was honest, it's going to be a net negative <laughs> in my life. But it's very hard after invested in stuff to <laughs> just exactly. get rid of it. It is. And that's, so that's thinking like an economist. That's one thing that if you studied economics, you'd, you'd learn about sunk costs. You'd learn that the things that you've already invested in shouldn't impact on your future decisions. You should only be looking to the future. But of course, if you hadn't studied economics and, and it is a tough thing to overcome, then you're going to fall victim to the, the sunk cost fallacy and you're going to be trapped in this mental prison of loser think. Another concept we can steal from the world of economics is the time value of money. So when you're trying to predict what path is the right one, you got to take into account both the short-term and long-term implications of all your decisions. A lot of people, when they're looking at the costs and the benefits, they see just the obvious and simple ones and often just the short-term outcomes. You got like a child who's a loser thinker, which is by default, probably <laughs> all children everyone, yeah. I'd say, says, I want candy. And the parent who's read Loser Think by Scott Adams says, we're about to have dinner. If you eat candy, you won't enjoy your meal as much. Plus, in the long run, it's better not to eat junk and snack. But then the child, the loser thinker goes, I want candy now. <laughs> exactly. That's classic loser think. The child, all the child is doing there is seeing the, the simple, short-term, immediate benefits. They think, I'm going to eat candy and I'm going to feel good. The adult is pushing beyond the, the loser think and thinking, okay, what's the long-term implications? Maybe put on a few kgs from eating too much candy. We're about to have a nice roast pork dinner with a few tasty veggies and if you eat candy, you're going to be full, you're not going to enjoy it as much. But of course, it's very easy to just get trapped in thinking immediate short-term benefits. So in some contexts, long-term gratification is the key and you're better off pushing out the benefits later down the track because they're going to accrue and become greater. But it's also to understand in some contexts, sometimes the opposite is true because Cash is more valuable in your hands now because there's an opportunity cost if you lock it away. You could invest it in the stock market, you could buy a house, you could impress somebody on a date who turns out to be your future wife or husband. No, so there's some of the things that economists know uh, and learn. Economists learn about sunk costs, they learn about time value of money, they learn about opportunity costs and of course, these things apply to more than just um, companies and businesses and finances. These apply to all of your day-to-day things as well. If you've learned these techniques for thinking, you can apply them to your own situations. And one more uh, thinking like an economist, he talks about straight line predictions. So economists spend a lot of time trying to predict what will happen, but what they do is they tinker with all of the different variables that are involved. They don't just think, okay, if everything stays the same, what's going to happen in the future and think that you know it's just going to continue in this straight line forever. They try to make some assumptions and test some different ideas. Say, hey, if this variable changes by 10%, what's going to happen? Or if this thing here disappears entirely, what's going to happen? If you're trying to predict the future by assuming that everything is going to continue exactly as it is, then uh, you're engaging in loser think. Yeah, a lot of people throughout history have got this dead wrong and they were considered the biggest experts in their field. Like you got someone here, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. And that was said by Decca Record in 1962 when they rejected the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, that was loser think. 
You've got a Yale professor in 1929 and just before the Great Depression, he said stocks have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. <laughs> yeah, that's a loser thing. That's a uh, predicting using straight line. Probably a, a much worse one on a, on a more personal level is uh, the president of, the, of a bank who was advising Henry Ford's lawyer saying, don't invest in Ford Motor Company because the horse is here to stay. The automobile, <laughs> it's just a novelty. It's just a fad. It's going to disappear and everyone's going to go back to horses. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> that's uh, There's a bit of that going on recently, I think, with all the people out there who are... Uh, talking down my uh, <laughs> investment, which I've probably gone against all our investment advice in all of our books and haven't diversified. <laughs> I've just put it all on Tesla. <laughs> and all the bears out there, mate, they're saying Tesla's, Tesla's going to go down, go down, and I've just seen it just go up and up and up recently. <laughs> it's been absolutely beautiful. Mate, it would be loser thing to think that the current uh, thing's going to stay exactly the same and the current trajectory is going to continue forever and ever. That's loser think. Mate, it's going to keep on going. <laughs> just, just keep going Automotive, up. batteries, solar, it's just all going in one direction. It's going to reach the moon and uh, I'm going to retire rich and happy and hang out with Elon. That was the book Loser Think by Scott Adams, giving you some different ideas from different fields and different industries to give you different techniques for thinking more productively and more effectively. Uh, now, as to what we personally thought about that book, we uh, we like to leave our personal opinions out of the episodes because we know that reading books at different times and, and different people in different circumstances, one book that we don't necessarily like could change somebody's life altogether. So, what we do is uh, we give you bit more of our, our personal opinions on the email list that we send out each month, a bit of a recap of the books we've read and what we thought about each one. If you're interested in getting that, sign up at whatyouwillearn.com slash email.